Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fearcast. This is the podcast uh, dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, um, anything related to stuff you could be afraid of, or worried about, or obsessed about, or nervous about. All those things. That's the stuff that this show is all about. Um, uh, it is about those things, treatment of those things, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in those things. And uh, I would like to welcome all of you to this wonderful, lovely, fun episode. Um, I like to think they're all wonderful, lovely, and fun, even though we here are talking about some of the the dark, sad, scary, uncomfortable, nerve-wracking, um, per, per, perceptively, or no, uh, what we believe to be life-ending thoughts and feelings and sensations and mental images. Um, but they're not. They're just thoughts, feelings, images, sensations, and urges that are neutral. But anyways, you guys all knew that. Anyhow, Welcome, everybody. Um, so this is a question and answer based podcast. If you would like to me or if you would like me to answer a question uh, on this podcast in a future episode, as this is a question and answer based podcast, go to fearcastpodcast.com. You can go to the ask a question or submit a question link and uh, you can ask your question there. I ought to say I haven't said this in a while. The if you are nervous about sending in a question, um, please note that um, I, I, I ask you for your name and email. Yes, uh, but that is all for for just legal protective purposes that go nowhere. It goes back into my HIPAA compliant uh, email address or uh, email, and it goes to nowhere. Um, I also ask you for a fake name. So whenever I say, "Hey, this question is from Jennifer," and there will be a question from Jennifer later today, um, that is not their real name. That could be Jeff. That could be Stephanie. Who knows who it is? But. They are calling themselves Jennifer, and therefore I will call them Jennifer. So if you are concerned and would like some extra added layer of anonymity, there's that. So uh, uh, the, so you can send me in a question. I will read it. I will consider it. And I will likely put it up on a future episode, as is going to happen today. Ah, so I actually have two questions I'm going to share today from uh, listeners, and I actually have some feedback from another uh, listener who actually wrote back after I answered a very previous, very previous, a previous question from a while ago in a, uh, a, a, a much older episode. So buckle up for that coming up soon. Also, everybody, if you like the show, if you like the FearCast, uh, it would delight my sad little black heart if you could go over to wherever you get your podcast and write a review, give a, give five stars. That would be fantastic. Ultimately, yes, it does. Uh, it, it, it is fantastic to know that other people out there are enjoying the show and are getting something from it. Um, it does help uh, the rating system and other people f to find it. Uh, so if you found it, it might be nice for other people to find it as well. So... And it's not that I'm looking for fame or anything like that. I don't need I don't need to be known or anything like that. But uh, it 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 has been it has been a fantastic and fun and uh, meaningful experience and and experiment for me to have this podcast up. This is the seventy first Fearcast episode that's going out. Uh, this has been going on for three years now. Uh, I thought this would be like six months and people would stop listening and then it would just kind of go away and I'd find another hobby. But um, but I keep getting questions and you people keep listening. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I, I hope my thank yous never found fake or forced because they are not. They're the last things from fake and forced. So thank you all for that. 
So before I get into the questions, I just want to do a little plug for a conference that's going to be coming up offered through OCD SoCal. So uh, OCD SoCal is the uh, is, is a local affiliate of the IOCDF, the International OCD Foundation, and they're going to be holding a, a online conference at the end of July. So specifically, it's going to be Saturday, July 31st, and uh, I, I'm going to be speaking in it as well as I'm going to be speaking with Kelly Frankie and Lauren McMeekin. And because it is on the internet, if you are anywhere in the world and can access the internet, and because you are listening to a podcast, I assume that you are somewhere in the world and know how to operate the internet, um, check it out. So it's going to be, it is going to be a great conference. There are a ton of speakers and a ton of different classes. This is a, the, the most expanded version of this local OCD conference. And I say local because it typically was in person and, and you know, it was, a, it, it was like 200 people max and that was delightful if it got there, but um, uh, but now they're offering it online to to anybody in the world. So check it out. You can go to OCD SoCal, so OCDSOCAL.org, OCDSoCal.org to register. Register as soon as you can because I think there is a early bird special or something to that going on. But check it out and uh, if you want to stop by my talk that would be delightful but uh, if not uh, check out some of the other talks and see if some of them are relevant to you as uh, uh, there's a, a, a wide a wide breadth of uh, I guess that's redundant a, a a breadth of information that you can get from this. So, um, so yeah, check it out. OCDSoCal.org. All right, everybody. Um, that's too much talking for me. So I'm going to jump into the questions now. So this first question comes from Jessica. Jessica says, Thank you so much for the episode on anxiety about a real health condition. I have a follow-up question related to that. My chronic health condition isn't life-threatening, but it causes pain and discomfort. There is no reliable way to ease these symptoms. There's definitely a mind-body connection, and I know that constantly paying attention to these symptoms makes them worse. So then I start worrying about the fact that I'm worrying about these symptoms. I mentally monitor them. Are they getting better? Are they getting worse? Am I still fixated on them? I mentally wish them away. I mentally strategize about how I can get through my day despite my discomfort. In my case, the feared consequence is the experience of the symptoms themselves, and it's actually happening. This seems different from obsessing about neutral sensations because there's real physical pain that's hard to ignore. Any advice on dealing with this issue? Thank you. All right, Jessica, this is a really good question. I appreciate you uh, sending this one in. And this one is kind of tricky because, as you said, there is a genuine pain there. There is a genuine symptom there. Now, that being said, so first thing I am going to say, Jessica, is because I don't know you, I'm going to have to answer this in, in a very broad and very kind of ambiguous way. So because I haven't talked to you, I, I, it's tough for me to tell how much of the symptoms you're experiencing are related to your genuine physical condition and how much of it is related to your kind of psychosomatic amping it up or just overly paying attention to it so your brain is perceiving it to be more painful than it currently is. Now, that being said, I'm not trying to deny the pain in that. I am saying it is painful. But as you said, the more you focus on it, the more painful, the more obnoxious, the more problematic it starts to seem. And it and it, it not only it seems, it, it is. 
it sounds like in your in your case. So I think one of the complications that you've also mentioned, or one of the struggles that you've said, is that yes, it, it, it is painful and it is uncomfortable. And you said this, there is no reliable way to ease these symptoms. Because one of the first things that I was going to say is certainly talk to your doctors about what are some ways that you can manage this. So for other listeners out there, if you are experiencing this, it's a great time to chat with your doctors to express your concerns about the, the these the, this pain, but also to chat with them about what are some things that you can do that that you can do that can help. Now, that's not to say what are the cures or what are the things that are going to make sure that these symptoms are going to go away, that you're not going to feel the pain, because there may not be, as you said, Jessica, a reliable way to ease these symptoms. So therefore, the best that we might be able to expect is maybe maybe a slight reduction, maybe a an easing sometimes of this of the physical sensations of of these symptoms so there's still going to have to be this element of acceptance of the symptoms that remain so certainly do the things that are helpful in managing the symptoms helpful and and aren't going to be causing further issues i know that you know my my worry in my saying that is that someone's going to say well I mean, smoking weed every day and drinking all the time certainly helps the pain and symptoms, so I should do that all the time. Not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, are, 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 can you put ice on it? Can you stretch? Can you take a shower? Can you, um, can you meditate? Right? These are some things that might be able to help. Even if it's like take an aspirin, as per the doctor's orders, hear that. But if those are some things that the doctor is recommending, do some of those things. Now, also listen to your body. If they're making it worse or making it feel more uncomfortable, don't do those, but chat with your doctor about that, the fact that those things aren't helping. All right, so let's get on to the OCD part of this. Yes, you're absolutely right. Obsessing about the symptoms is going to make it worse, and the fixation on trying to make them go away is a compulsion and is a, is a problem. Because the more that you're saying, I need to, this needs to go away. Is it going away? Has it gone away? Is it less than it was yesterday? Is it more right now? All of that is just taking a microscope and putting it directly on that pain and making that all about your life and making your life all about it. You may want to look into practicing some mindfulness exercises and some meditation skills or building some meditation skills. So for example, attention training can be really helpful in a situation like this, where you work on building that muscle, building that mental muscle to be able to shift your focus and your attention from those areas that cause pain to either other areas of the body or externally towards something else outside of you and around you. What that's going to help you to do is it's going to help shift the focus, shift all that energy into something else so that you can try to get more engrossed and more interested in that. And as you do that, the the attention, the heat, the, 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 the microscope element of your attention on that body part and how much pain, how much more painful it is in that moment, it's going to start to lessen. You might notice, and I think you've, you've kind of referenced this, that, that if you're focusing on something else, the, the attention on the body discomfort is less. But when you turn your, all your attention towards the body discomfort, all of a sudden it becomes more. That's to be expected. It, it doesn't mean that when you turn your attention outward, all of a sudden it disappears. 
it just kind of puts it in the background. I've noticed this myself when I, 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 I've mentioned before that I have tinnitus or tinnitus, however you pronounce it out there. When I focus on it, all of a sudden, it's almost like someone turned the volume knob and turned it way up. But when I'm focusing on something else, it kind of, it kind of goes down, even to the point where I just stop thinking about it until I'm talking about it on a podcast. But if I'm focusing on it, I, I can like notice it go and it gets louder. Similarly, and I'm just talking from my own from my own perspective. So I've also mentioned that I have kind of lung and sinus issues. You might notice that I might sound a little snorkier today, a little bit more congested today in the sinus region. Um, it's because I am. I feel a little a little bit more congested today, but. I'm doing the things that I can reasonably do to manage it. Now, what I have is a chronic health concern, a chronic health condition. My sinuses get more congested, inflamed, and and less on other days. Today is a more day. So, I'm going to have to deal with it. Now, I can do the things that I can do to help, which I have done already, but it didn't eliminate it, right? I'm, I still have echoey, I'm still echoey in my head. I'm kind of talking more in my head voice, I suppose. Um, I don't, and by the way, I don't even know if any of this is translating outward to you people. This is all just my own perspective, right? But then again, that's what a lot of our obsessions are, right? Our own perspective and our own interpretation of our experience, right? So, I feel like I sound like this, who knows if I am, but if I turn all my attention towards this and say, I need to make everything about this, well, I'm going to put my life on hold until it goes away. I'm going to not record. I'm not going to see any of my clients. I'm going to just go home. I'm going to call the doctor. I'm going to read things online and do everything that I can to get rid of this. But that would be a waste of my time because I also know that this sensation of the awareness of it is going to pass. So what can I do in the meantime? Can I try to do the things that I want to do as best I possibly can in the most reasonable way until this stuff goes away, until my sinuses become less inflamed? Because they will. I know they will. And then it'll get worse and then it'll get better. And then it'll get worse and it'll get better. And it'll get a sinus infection and then things will be fine for a year. It's all over the place. Now, Jessica, I don't know what your particular situation is, but... There's an element of accepting that this is a situation that you are in, but it doesn't have to be the end of your life, the end of the world for you, but it has to be part, a sliver, a portion of that pie in your life is going to be this health condition. So, how do we try to minimize that health condition by paying less attention to it and instead rebuilding and expanding the, the, the pie pieces, pieces of the pie, um, in other areas of your life and trying to shift over to that more. So another couple of things that you can do. You mentioned that you mentally wish these sensations away. One thing is to one thing I'm going to encourage you to do is just try to resist that line of thinking, wishing it away, trying to make sure that it or trying to um, put effort in the in the hope that it goes away. Because it's a wasted energy to do that. But instead, practice moments where you accept it as part of your presence and part of your life. So what that can look like is once you notice that it's there, and this is going to sound weird, and this is this is kind of in the world of sensory motor. So it is, um, it is kind of in that in that area of of neutral sensations, right? But what we can do is practice an acceptance an acceptance exercise 
kind of closing our eyes, turning our attention towards that sensation or those feelings or that function in your body. And practicing a perspective of allowance, of tolerance. The expectation here is not that the sensation will go away, not that you will like it, not that you will say that you're completely fine with it, but a practice of saying this thing is here, and you are going to practice pulling down your defenses in that moment. I'm willing to bet that when your attention is on your sensations, you tense up, you kind of put up these, the, the, these walls or you put on this armor to try to make sure it's not going to get you or break you or something like that. Instead, we're going to pull those down in that moment. We're going to focus on it and kind of think about it as, as, a, as if you were like embracing a sad child. I know that's kind of a weird image, but you know, you wouldn't yell at a child for crying. You wouldn't like throw them across the room. You would bring them in and you'd say, okay, I know that you're sad. And by the way, they might be obnoxious. And maybe I'm speaking from my own personal experience as having just traveled with a three-month-old. It, By the way, everybody, it's exactly the way you think. It's exactly the way you'd think. Anyways, um, but you'd bring them in and you'd, and you'd coddle it, you'd care for it, and you'd say, you can be here, and I know you're going to cry, I know you're going to be upset, I know you're going to be annoying to me, but I know that this is going to pass, and you're going to make space in your life for that feeling. And you can practice this exercise in different arenas. Practice it while you're driving. Practice while you are sitting, uh, sitting and watching TV. Now, is this exercise giving this sensation a lot of attention? Yes. Yes, it is. Does it go against some, uh, some conversation lately of spending less time ruminating about this? Y- yes, it does. Um, but also, it fits in with those as well, because the, the goal of this isn't to try to get rid of it. The goal is to sit in the presence of it and to allow it to be there without fighting it, without doing mental compulsions to try to eliminate it. It's taking that perspective that it's here, and it can be. You could almost think about this as taking the perspective of perhaps having an office or having you know a classroom or a bedroom and hearing the neighbor next to you. Sometimes you hear them, sometimes you don't. Sometimes they're more obnoxious and sometimes they are completely delightful. You go out to a restaurant, it's really loud, there's a baby crying. Again, more babies crying. There's a baby crying over there, but you know, you could make your entire dinner or experience about that baby or you could refocus back on your meal and your conversation. Perhaps it is a sound in your car that's making a bunch of noise. Well, you could make the entire trip about that sound, or you can try to refocus on something else. So, one of the main differences, Jessica, then between the neutral experiences conversation and yours is that there, while there is still that acceptance component, there is also going to have to be not going to have to be, but there's also that, that element of talking with your doctor about what are some things that you can reasonably do to help alleviate those symptoms. Do those things and practice the acceptance pieces. If it is also beneficial to you, and if you're working with a therapist on things like this, you can talk about scripting that this sensation never goes away and that it's always in your life and that you are constantly going to be paying attention to it and that because you're paying attention to it, you're never going to be paying attention to anything else reasonably in your life and that your life is going to be over as a result of it. 
that might also be a good exercise to engage in. But chat with your therapist about that. So, Jessica, I hope this was helpful in 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 discussing this again. The the the, the trick that that I'm having, or the 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 needle that I'm having to thread here is, I don't know to what degree this is impacting you, and what you have done, and what you haven't done, and what you can do and can't do. But the element of acceptance that those symptoms can be part of your life, while painful and while annoying. Argon is going to have to take place, but it's going to be acceptance and a moving forward with them as a as a fluctuating piece of your pie, not the entirety of it or something that's going to stop you from living your life. If you let it stop you from living your life, then yes, it has stopped you from living your life. But instead, it's going to be you living your life with this. As you've heard me say before, perhaps, um, no one gets out of life without a thing. So it's either a mental health thing, it's a physical health thing, and the lucky ones of us get both, right? So we're trying to make space for it. This is, this is your thing, but it's not the thing. It's one of the things in your life because you also have all these wonderful things. Now, if you aren't focusing or allowing your attention to be on those wonderful things, then yes, this health thing is the thing. So, it's a matter of shifting. So, you may want to look into some, again, mindfulness exercises or uh, some attention shifting practices. So, Jessica, uh, I know that was long-winded, but I hope that was beneficial. Bye. Right, so this next question comes from Jennifer. Now, I'll say this, Jennifer, your question zigs when I thought it was going to zag. So uh, perhaps other people will see the twist in, in it, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Jennifer says, hi, Kevin. My question is about the therapy for OCD. I was diagnosed with OCD about a year and a half ago and have been in therapy ever since. For several years, I've dealt with chronic obsessions about mistakes that I've made in my relationship, resulting in constant confession and reassurance seeking from my boyfriend. It has been a huge disruption in my daily life because I often spend hours and hours ruminating about things in the past. While I feel that the therapy has helped a bit, I feel that I have hit a plateau in treatment because my therapists do not make OCD a central focus of my treatment. In fact, I feel most of the progress I've made is due to my own research on OCD and seeking outside resources beyond therapy, such as this podcast. It's worth to mention that I go to a doctoral training clinic, so I've had several different student therapists who have all had different interpretations of my problem. Is it worth to see someone who specializes in OCD? And what are the main differences between standard cognitive behavioral therapy versus a treatment plan that focuses more on OCD? Ooh, Jennifer, see, I thought you were going to be talking about some real event OCD and talking about maybe uh, kind of uh, moral scrupulosity. And then all of a sudden we're talking about different types of therapy and finding the right therapist. And oh, man. All right. So, I mean, I'll say this. I'm recording early in the morning, early ask in the morning. So maybe I'm just um, I was unprepared for for the conversation. But uh, but Jennifer, thank you so much for this question. All right, so the first thing I'll, t I'll talk about is just what the doctoral training clinics, what I'm assuming that is, um, and then talking about kind of what that is, how it can work for other people out there, and then I'll talk just a little bit about uh, your question about the differences between uh, the types of therapy. So, doctoral training clinics, so for, for, for those who are going through therapy school or for graduate school, 
for some, they have to go through a doctoral training clinic, which means that they they are often in a therapy center. So all the students, when they reach, when they go through a certain number of years of their program, and oftentimes for doctoral students, it can be four years or five years, sometimes even six year programs after four year four year um, regular college. So it's a it's a a gaggle of school, but uh, after they reach a certain amount, they sometimes will work in their school's um, kind of therapy center. What that is, is going to be a, a low fee or no fee community um, psychotherapy center uh, where people can come in and they can see one of the student therapists for, again, very low or no fee. And, and very often, the, the therapists are going to be very, very good. They're going to be under the direct supervision of, of uh, training clinicians who are also very, very good, who have had a bunch of years of experience. Oftentimes, those sessions are going to be audio or video recorded. Sometimes they're going to be di- directly observed through uh, like a one-way mirror sort of thing um, or two-way mirror. I don't know. You know the ones that you see in cop sh- shows where it's like someone's being interviewed on the other side and you see like the cops on the other end, like, you know, saying they're guilty. Anyways, it's not like that in therapy. In cop programs, yes. Anyways, so that type of mirror. So it, c- it could be that. It could not be that. Anyways, the whole point is um, that's what these centers are going to be about. Now, someone going through a, a, a someone going through therapy school, they are getting a ton of training and a ton of knowledge with a lot of a lot of stuff right so it's not just going to be ocd i'll say this i will also say this graduate programs do a terrible job at teaching ocd my program we talked about it for maybe 20 minutes my wife went through a doctoral program and she her program was i think five years and they talked about it for an hour so for unless you are going through some specific training or looking for training and you are a doctoral student or a a a, a, a therapy student of some type you you're not going to get good information or good training on ocd treatment you will get decent conversation about uh, or decent uh, information about cognitive behavioral therapy as kind of a broad technique but remember cbt can be applied to anything in my program, CBT was applied primarily to relationships and couples counseling, as, as was the focus of my program. I had to receive OCD treatment training outside of my program, and I got it out after I graduated. So I was very lucky to get some, some very wonderful internships uh, that, that trained me how to do it. But the doctoral training probably won't do that. So you said you said that you went to this. Now, for the average person, for an average thing, yeah, you can you can get some good therapy through these programs, but they may not have the ERP training, and they may not have the understanding of what OCD is, how it works, um, uh, and some of the nuances of some of the subtypes that are going to be especially beneficial. So, to that point, Jennifer, I want to say uh, to your question: Is it worth to see someone who specializes in OCD? Well. Of course, I'm biased on that. But yes, I will say in your case, because you are not getting what you're wanting to get out of treatment through these uh, therapists, it'd be more beneficial for you to seek out someone who has specialized training. Now, that being said, remember that there is a difference between someone who is in, you know, in a very general treatment program doing therapy and someone who's you know been doing therapy for 100 years and specializes in OCD and, and all of that. 
there are programs and a lot of programs out there, and I was in one of these for many years, where they specialize in OCD treatment, but they are not a licensed clinician. So what that means is they have graduated their program and they are a, a an MFT associate. They are a psych assistant. These are some of the some of the titles they give them, but ultimately they are not a licensed therapist. They are under the continued supervision and guidance of a clinician who specializes in OCD, and they they help train and observe and 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 educate that student in OCD treatment. Oftentimes, these students are going to be at lower fee um, than uh, than someone who is licensed and has more experience in OCD treatment. Um, but that that lower fee, it can actually be fantastic because you are getting their experience. If they are in an OCD treatment center, they obviously are saying, this is something that I'm wrapping my head around and I'm putting all my, my education and weight into this subject. Plus, they have the guidance and supervision of someone who has also been doing that for several for many, many years. So you can still, so Jennifer, you can still find someone who is low or low fee and someone who is specializing in OCD treatment. Now you said, what is the difference between standard CBT and, and um, kind of a more focus on OCD? The main difference, one of the main differences is going to be the, the, the effort they're going to spend and the time they're going to spend on ERP. ERP is going to be the biggest and most important difference in treatment from someone who's just doing regular regular old CBT and an OCD specialist. CBT is going to be talking about your thoughts and how they impact your behaviors. And a lot of it is going to be based just purely in uh, cognitive restructuring. So talking about the thoughts, and we've talked about this here, talking about the thoughts and how relevant they are, how reasonable and rational they are, seeing if we can change them and alter them and question the legitimacy of those thoughts. And if you can change your thoughts, you can likely change your interaction with the world, your responses to the world, and all of that is well and good. However, if that is not then coupled with exposure and response prevention treatment, you are not getting very effective OCD treatment. So that is going to be the primary difference. The other difference is going to be someone who has OCD or an OCD specialty is unlikely to give reassurances. Regular therapists going through treatment or going through therapy school, we it is indoctrinated in us to be very validating, reassuring to people, to build their confidence, and to and to basically tell them that things are going to be okay. And that's a very broad generalization, but kind of saying like, here's what's normal, here's what's not normal, what you're doing is totally reasonable if someone has a worry about that. And from a CBT perspective, if someone says, hey, I have this thought and this fear, and it's reasonable, well, that CBT therapist is going to say, well, you know, Jennifer, that's totally fine. That's reasonable. I have that. This person has that. That's a normal thought. Now, if someone asks that question in therapy with me, I might answer that the first time, but then every subsequent time, I'm going to note that as a likely compulsion, and my further answering that is only going to be exacerbating the problem, because that person is now seeking unhealthy reassurances. So, that's going to be another difference between a regular old CBT therapist and a OCD specialist. So... I would encourage you to try to make some calls, find out folks who, who you know, some, some of these larger programs that uh, uh, you can, you know, Google online, you can find them. Um, they'll have uh, interns, associates, uh, whatever the titles are for, for them, but call them and ask them, do you have someone who is low fee? Do you have someone who's in training? And they would likely be able to help you out.
So Jennifer, I hope that answers your question. Um, uh, if you have any further questions about that, feel free to reach out to me. I also did a whole episode on this very, very early on, probably within the first, easily within the first 20 episodes. You can go back and look into the archives um, just on trying to find a, a therapist and, the, and uh, trying to find a perhaps a group or an intern or an associate or a psych assistant um, and how to find a therapist for you. So uh, you can check out that, uh, that episode. But Jennifer, thank you for allowing me to be part of your recovery process. And I'm so happy that this podcast has been beneficial to you, even in some way. So uh, I wish you the best of luck in continuing to make that progress. And just keep pushing forward and keep challenging yourself and taking risks and you'll get there. All right, Jennifer, best of luck. All right, so for this last portion today, this is actually a, a comment that is a, a an update from a previous listener, previous writer, previous questioner. Um, that question can actually be uh, heard back on episode 53, so whenever that uh, came out. Uh, but this is a question from Hillary, and Hillary was talking about uh, actually a very similar question to uh, one of our previous, uh, um, previous questions in this episode, talking about health anxiety and, and health issues that, that are actually happening to them and they were struggling with with how to how to manage this and 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 you know when they when they are reminded of their health issue they tended to go as they said they they spiral back to rock bottom and and I gave her the advice that uh, that I, I gave the other uh, the other listener uh, so that she wrote back Hillary wrote back and, and wanted to give an update so this is what she said I was the one with the question about having health OCD, but a real health condition, and that being a nuanced trigger. Since submitting my question, I found the missing piece of the puzzle for me in my journey, Zoloft. I began taking Zoloft a few months ago, and I'm currently on 50 milligrams. I can't tell you how it's changed my life. Zoloft is not a substitute for all the therapy I'm continuing to do. It does not make OCD, quote, go away, but it has finally meant that I'm having lasting success. I'm happy to report that I'm enjoying the maintenance phase of my OCD recovery. She says parenthetically, I do some exposures most days, continue with my one-on-one -on -one therapy, listening to the Fearcast, and continuing to attend support skills once a week. She goes on to say, but there are no more tailspins, no more falling down to rock bottom, and no more waking up depressed. I can recognize my symptoms early on, remain objective using mindfulness techniques, employ ERP, CBT, and ACT strategies quickly and effectively, and can manage my OCD like a boss. Three exclamation points, she writes. She goes on to say, thank you for your added advice from my specific episode. You are right on. I had begun to do most of what you suggested with the help of Zoloft and am in a much better place of acceptance and resilience living with my condition. And then she says this, familial hypercholesterolemia. Cholesterolemia? I can't pronounce it. I just can't. I'm not even going to try. And then she says, uh, typing that was not triggering. She puts all that in caps. All right. She goes on to say, I've gotten more information on what I can do to have some control over this. I have options and I'm currently doing all that is within my power. I'm enjoying every day that I have and living happily and mindfully with acceptance and peace. And she says most of the time. I accept and make room for the possibility of the feared stories, leaving my child motherless, but I also know that there are other possibilities too. The triggers are so minor in comparison to what they were, and they are dealt with quickly, early on, and effectively. 
Thank you for everything you have given all of us with your advice and guidance. It felt so wonderful when you shared your own struggle, only to say that you are someone living your life to the fullest. Who knows what this feels like? You've improved my life, and for that, I thank you. All right. Well, Hillary, this is uh, this was actually not planned, and I'll say this to all the other writers and all you out there. Uh, this was not planned to have this uh, to have your comment, Hillary, put on this episode uh, alongside another uh, question that, that is is very very similar. Hillary, I'm so glad that you found the missing puzzle piece, and I'll tell you, for some people, the missing puzzle piece for them is in fact medication. Now I'll say this. Medication may not be for everyone, and that's okay. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not going to say that everybody needs medication. I'm not going to say that everyone should be on medication. What I will say is, it is oftentimes a very good um, step to go and chat with a psychiatrist about whether or not medication might be that missing puzzle piece for you. And Hillary, I'm glad that was something that was for you. What medication often does is it helps, it kind of takes the edge off. It's It helps us, helps bring us up just a little bit so that we can start to do the behavioral work easier and better. Research shows that yes, uh, behavioral treatment, the stuff that I talk about, is effective. So is medication. But the most effective treatment is is the combination of the two: behavioral behavioral treatment with medication treatment. So Hillary, that's great that uh, that that worked for you. Also, I just want to punctuate. Yes. The, the, the feared story is still there. And yeah, there is that possibility. There's the reality of that possibility that, you know what? You might leave your child motherless. And that would suck. That would be terrible. That would be a tragedy. And I certainly don't want that to happen. I don't think anybody else does. But while that's one possibility of the bajillion of other things that could happen. And I love what you also said. You're, you're doing the things that are within your control to manage this, to kind of make it better. Ultimately, that's the best that we can do with pretty much everything. We kind of take the stuff that we can do, and we do those things the best that we can. We try to implement them, and we kind of experiment and figure out how we can improve on those things. And we might, you know, talk to a doctor here and there, but it's that we can't, it's the to the point that we can't fully control it. We can't eliminate it in some of our conditions, and, and that's okay. Now, by the way, I, to everybody else out, out there listening, I certainly don't want to make it sound like I know what you're experiencing because I have my own silly health thing. It's different. All I can do is say, I have something that I have to deal with, and you guys have something that you're dealing with. They're, they're different. One's not better or, or worse or anything like that. I'm just saying that that we, we are all in doing the best that we can to try to move our life forward in the best, most productive, and most successful possible way. So to Hillary, I'm so glad. I can't, I, I'm probably saying this too much. I'm so glad that you made this progress and that you are continuing to do the, these things that are beneficial. I love that you said that you're continuing to take medication in addition to doing exposures daily. You are doing therapy and that you're continuing to stay within a, within a support slash skills group once a week. All of that stuff is going to keep you in maintenance phase and keep you moving forward. So for all of you out there, if you're listening to this, know that Hillary was able to make progress. If you are in that place where you feel stuck, that you feel like you can't make progress, I'm glad that Hillary wrote this so that you all can listen to this and hear that there is there is hope, there is progress to be made, and that you aren't you aren't 
screwed forever as we sometimes feel and sometimes think. And, uh, and, and if you are out there thinking and feeling that, um, I, I hope Hillary's story resonated with you and gave you even a glimmer of optimism that you could share in a story like that. And I'll say this to everybody. If you have a story of progress, if there was something that was helpful to you, I'd love to hear about it. Um, I was kind of playing with the idea today of, of, of trying to incorporate success stories into this. And if you have a success story, I want to hear about it. I'll try to add a whole separate section uh, onto the website for that. But um, go over to fearcastpodcast.com if you feel comfortable sharing your success story. Um, go to the submit a question link. Just put it in there and write success story on it or include something like that and I'll get it. But if I get enough of them, I will make this a regular thing on every episode. But if you send one in, I will, I'll will i tack it into an episode because I, I think it's helpful. It's encouraging. It's meaningful to hear that other people out there are making success. So I'd love to hear that you made success, what you did, what was working for you. And if you have some tips, some advice, some encouragement for other people out there who may be struggling, send that in too because... Y'all can hear me all the time. I mean, I'm on the internet. You can just rewind and hear my dumb voice again. But it's meaningful to hear it from you, from you listeners out there. And I'll say this again, and I'm attaching a lot of caveats to Hillary's thing. Um, if you would like to send in your question through audio, um, so if you record yourself asking your question, that will get precedence over other questions. And I will put that in the next episode or as soon as I possibly can, because I don't want to hear my voice all the time. I want to hear your voices and your questions from your voice. So um, I will just tack that on. So again, Hillary, keep it up. Keep pushing. Keep doing it. And you're, and you're getting back to your life. That's the whole point of all of this, isn't it? So thank you for sending this in and keep it up. All right, everybody, this is the end of this episode. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out through it. I'll say it again. Two things. One, if you would like to send in your progress story, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can send it over to me there. If you um, want to send in your audio uh, uh, audio thing or your question via audio, um, you can send it to questions at fearcastpodcast.com. Uh, so you can either record it somewhere or you can record it via, um, I've had some people record theirs and put it onto a shared Google Doc. I've had some people just record it in their, you know, uh, in, in the voice memos section of their phone and just email me the file. Either way, however you want to do it, if that's what you want to do, go for it. And I'll be more than happy to, uh, to post that up. Um, uh, so again, everybody, thank you all so much for listening. Um, check out the uh, OCD SoCal or SoCal OCD. It is OCD SoCal. As I previously mentioned, check out that conference. We'll be talking. There's a bunch of other talks. You can see the uh, uh, the schedule uh, on the website, so you can probably find a talk that's going to be relevant or interesting to you. All right, everybody, please remember that Faircast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about recovery or getting better, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can check out the Find Help link, and there's going to be some links there that may be helpful and beneficial to you. Okay, everybody, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.